Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. Um, so today I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Celestina. Celestina, welcome to the show. Thank you for making time for us today. Looking forward to a great conversation. Thank you. Yeah. Same here. Appreciate your invitation. Great. So could you introduce yourself to the listeners, please, Celestina? Hello, everyone. I am Eileen Celestina Garcia. I go by Celestina. I am the daughter of Leroy and Gloria Garcia here in New Mexico. We are 12th generation New Mexicans. I'm the granddaughter of Fidel and Celestina Cisneros and Pablo and Veronica Garcia. I am the niece of 22 aunts and uncles minus their spouses the cousin to over 500 cousins here in New Mexico, and the mom to Leoncio Zen Alexander Adams, and the auntie of Andres Garcia. I introduced myself that way. That is one of the ways that our elders have taught um, me as I've been growing up and doing work with community. Um, it's a way for us to be able to share our lineage, our culture, and also recognize recognize and represent the people who have helped us to become who we are today. Um, so I say thank you from my family for this opportunity, Simon, to be able to share the stuff that, you know, comes from New Mexico. Fantastic. Superb. Um, so that is, yeah, it's, that is a totally unique way of introducing yourself. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think this popped into my head. Have you heard of a guy called Don Miguel Ruiz? Have you heard of him? Don? Don I have, yes. I've read his books and we've actually used them within my leadership program uh, as some of our um, content. We used to have uh, books that we would read throughout our leadership program and some of his were on our list. Yeah. Yeah. He's an interesting guy. The, uh, the voice of knowledge um, the first 20 minutes of that is probably listening to that on audio is one of the most powerful experiences that I've had. And um, so he's uh, from the Toltec, um, uh, Toltec uh, culture, Toltec background. Um, and, you know, what you said kind of immediately put me in mind of, of, of him and, and uh, a, a difference, a, 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 some differences between the culture I was raised in and the, and the culture of, of that part of the world. You know? um, yeah. So that was big. Yeah. Voice of knowledge is a, uh, have you read that one? Do you remember that one? I have. And, um, you know, I think one of the areas that as, as you're talking about him, you know, here in New Mexico, this part of the United States, um, often tell people that we were hit by two waves of historical oppression. Of course, we had the Spanish conquistadors that came from uh, Mexico up north uh, and through New Mexico. Uh, and then we also had westward expansion that later came from the East Coast over to, you know, the gold rush of California. And so New Mexico was hit straight by both of them, right? It's almost like a T. And as we talk about, you know, how have our families had to evolve and grow and survive and find ways to thrive through that? Oftentimes people don't realize that part of what our families struggle with, the, you know, issues that create opportunities for foster care or adoption, you know, it's not because people don't care about their kids. I think that's, you know, maybe, very small number. It's really, there's large things that are happening in community where resources change from night to day. In my family, the experience for my parents' generation who were Spanish-speaking families that then were in public school requiring them to speak only English, those things were really devastating because my generation was raised to only speak English um, because our families, were, my parents were the generation hit in school for speaking Spanish and being bilingual or trying to be bilingual. Um, and so my generation has actually had the fight to change that narrative 
And a lot of times in assimilation, we've we've lost our language. Um, and I think that that happens too when we talk about different aspects of why, you know, we need extra support of parenting and, and child care as families also experience some of these hardships that happen in the world. You know, when when families lose a key member to death or something like cancer, you know, that's what happened to my dad's family. My dad was one of 11 children and his mom, when he was 14, got cancer and passed away. And so the younger children either, I call them family orphaned because they were in that situation where they needed someone to care for them. They were not old enough to go out on their own. So they went and lived with older siblings or community members, you know, and that's where they got looped into the system. Um, but I think I think there's lots of things like that that happen in our communities that we don't often talk about. Um, yeah. So your um, your role now, you're working with for the how do you say it? the CYFD? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And what does that? Yes. So CYFD for? is our state um, agency that child youth and families department. Uh, so we, you know, are working to support families to, you know, be in care of children. And, and you know, sometimes they need to come into our space, um, you know, when there's something really intense happening. So um, there's all different types of scenarios where families will interact with our agency um, to provide, you know, our goal is three things, well-being, safety, and reunification of families yeah and, and you were telling me um uh last time when we we spoke and um that you're working on a uh you're building a new a building a new curriculum for resource parents so resource parents is the the language that you guys use for foster and adoptive parents yeah is that is that right yes yeah there's a lot of transitions transitions happening um, within the department to get better at what we do. And so some of those are, you know, how do we also address what our families are called? Uh, so we've made a transition away from foster um, parents to resource parents to really begin to look at how do we as community members support a family in need um, as resources. And, and so that that person who is stepping in and providing care for a child in emergency need has someone that is knowledgeable and ready to provide safety and support, uh, but also sees their role as super unique and important to keep the connections together with the bio families, with our families and their extended family members, because we know that that's what's best for our children. That when their you know network can continue to stay and grow and you know be cultivated, that that supports the child to have that space to be able to themselves develop as best as possible. Um, our curriculum is being developed out. It's been worked on for the last year and a half, two years by a group of agency workers and, and community members from statewide. We continue to evolve that engagement of getting and gathering input as we're building the curriculum out. Um, but it looks, our goal is to be in launch by January. So it's a very tight framework, uh, but we are doing our best to chug along as fast as possible. Yeah. But the, 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 what struck me is that you, you're building the curriculum kind of in, in partnership with the resource parents. Yeah. That's, that's how it seemed to be to me. Yes, we have had uh, focus groups uh, with resource parents who have been resource parents for a long time and had their certification for a while and closed their certification. Others who are brand new resource parents who've gone through our old training um, because we wanted to know what works, what doesn't work, and hear it from those who really are you know, the recipient of, you know, the, the, from the resource parent viewpoint. And one of the things, Simon, that 
really struck me was they said there's a lot of information in that experience, right? That first training that we get. And yet still, we don't feel so prepared for the first placement. And so one of the things that we're doing is to really look at, okay, what then supports feeling basic prepared? Because we know experience is always going to be what prepares us the most in life, right? But what are the foundational things that any resource parent who is saying yes to accept a placement from a child that's going to go to their home, what do they need to know? What do they need to be prepared with? so that we can support them in that way. And I think that that's such a foundational piece because it's true. You can have all kinds of information, but if that doesn't really support in that initial placement moment, then you know we've, we've missed the mark. Yeah. So we're really working hard to make sure that this intro training also has people not only knowledgeable of who our agency is, and, you know, as I say it, have the phone numbers of who they phoned a friend, right? Because, you know, you're going to have moments where you're like, ah, what do I do? Um, but that they also have skill and tool to understand what it really is that we're asking when we say, will you take a child in care and, and support them? Because I think people come to the table with a lot of different thoughts on their own of why they're showing up to be a resource parent. Um, and, and, you know, we want to make sure that there's alignment of values, there's alignment of practice and, and tools. So we're, yeah, we're doing our best with this new curriculum on that piece too. So what, what I thought that, what I thought that we could do, so the, the, the podcast is listened to by adoptive, adoptive parents and foster adoptive parents, I guess, what you would call resource parents mm -hmm. and also a, 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 a adoptees. So, I think maybe we've put the adoptees to one, adult adoptees to listen, put, put those to one side. What, what I thought that we could do was, um, give, given that there's no other content on the podcast that's kind of preparatory content, you know, preparatory information before uh, the listeners have adopted um, or started fostering. Um, th this is, uh, these are, the, the listeners are already in that um already in that part of their life where they are they they are parents to to kids um what i thought might be useful for you to share some of the some of the information that you feel that you that you've come across as 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 you've been building this curriculum that you would that you believe would be useful for uh, for our listeners to to hear so does that does that sound okay as a kind of like a, a starting off point i love it yes and and let me know if there's you know things that um you know right off the top i have two things that i would like to share but if there's other questions or you know things yeah. that you you think of let me know one of the very first things is how impactful and important it is for adoptive parents to see that for the child's benefit, for their development, for their safety, and for all of what it takes for them in growing, being connected to their bio family and, and their extended family and making those things a part of their life consistently is so valid and important. Um, and what I mean by this is, you know, being able to have as a part of your, re, um, what do I want to say here, your routines, your, your home habits, the ability to speak from the strengths of the family. Yes, the family, you know, was in a situation and now you've adopted their child, but that doesn't mean that the family didn't have strengths, they didn't have cultural traditions and things that really have been lineage pieces that are important to that child's development. Um, so as adoptive parents, what can you do to encourage and ask, right? Because yes, some 
young people will not be interested in continuing some of those relationships. It may be a really hard thing, right? It might take some years. Um, yet for those that they are, you know, maybe it's a grandma, or maybe it's an auntie or a cousin they loved playing with. What are ways to incorporate them into your life so it feels accepted and included and um, encouraged. I think that's the other thing, right? Because I think what I've heard over and over is that there's one way to check the box and just be like, well, I asked the question. The other is to really be authentic in it and even address if it's uncomfortable for you, right? Like I've never had to do this before. I've never had to expand my family. Like some of us are really used to it. Like my family, we're so big. We're used to like everybody who you know, a friend for a while becomes a family member pseudo, right? But some of us aren't because people are so different than us, right? Maybe they live in a different neighborhood. Or maybe the way they speak is way different than what we do, right? Their language or whatever. But being able to show like, and to be honest, like, you know what? I might really mess up at this, right? <laughs> like I might make a mess of this, but I want to really figure it out, right? Um, is, is a thing that also can be conveyed because the young person is feeling that messy hardship too, right? Like they might not know how to speak to the adoptive parents and say, God, I miss my cousin. I really wanna see my little cousin, you know, like I haven't gotten to see them or, I, you know, I'm afraid if I let you know, I miss my brother. Like, is that something that you're gonna be upset with me about, right? Um, or I miss my mom or dad or whatever that looks like. So I think if there's anything of all the pieces to our curriculum, that continuation of how do we build that support network of family and friends for the young person it has been showing up over and over again. That's been a big one, Simon. Yeah. Yeah, huge. Um, so, as you know, you were saying... Um, check the box you know it's not checking this isn't checking the box as you were talking the uh, the thing that popped into my head is that we're not paying lip service to this as a family we're not paying lip service we, we we're gonna we so one of my challenges um with our uh, british politicians is that most of them have never created anything other than words and words are really easy it's the it's the outcome, mm -hmm. the inputs. It's the it's the it's what we do that, that that's more important than, than what we say. Um, so this isn't about this isn't about lip service. This is about um, as you say, consistency, routine. It's habit. It's about what we do, not what we say. Uh, and I, you know, I heard um, I heard somebody say something around this. Just slipped my mind. Um, It's like we don't we 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 follow we don't follow liars we don't follow hypocrites we don't follow hip you know we we you know we want to we want to lead our kids and 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 leaders do what they say they're going to do so this is uh, about you you the uh, resource parent adoptive parent foster parent you being seen to do what you say you're going to do by your child and that has got to be a big part of the trust piece and kind of why this is significant for me is i remember thinking to myself so i've been with my wife coming up uh, 20 well we've been together for 28 years we've been married coming up 20 yeah been together 28 years coming up 24 and i was thinking about going back about 26 years ago, something like this. Why do I love my wife? Right. So this is a bit of a strange question because we're looking at for a rationale. We're looking in our head for an answer that's in our heart. Right. And and the only thing that I could come up with from a rational point of view, or not the only thing, the first thing that came up, I hope she doesn't listen to this, um, was that she does what she says she's going to do. She does what she says she's going to do. And her doing what she says she's going to do makes me feel safe. So if you say to your child that you are going to do all this, ha have all this continuation with the biological family, 
um, and you don't do it, then your child's going to lose trust in, in, in you. Like I would lose trust in my wife if she didn't. I don't think I'd be with my wife if she didn't do what she says. And, and uh, that, that's kind of honesty is really a really important value to me. Uh, and just as a, as a stupid example on the other side of this, is that we're having some construction work done, and uh, and the the builder doesn't say what he, he doesn't do what he says he's going to do, and I don't trust the guy. I don't feel safe with the guy, and I'm putting it quite politely. I you know like I I really yeah. <laughs> People say, would you recommend him? No. So do you want to be, you know, if you, if, if you want to be a parent, if you, you know, the, the essence, we've got to build trust with, we've got to build trust is the, is the, is the foundational piece of any relationship. So whether that's, you know, a contractor, whether that's a spouse, whether that's a, a, a kid from a hard place, and especially for my kid from a hard place, They've got to trust you. And if you don't do what you say you're going to do, if you pay lip service only, then your child is going to trust you. Um, I think one of the areas that you also are reminding me that is also impacting our curriculum, Simon, is that when you're working with a child who has come through the system of care like this, they've also been impacted by different traumas in their life. And as a resource parent or an adoptive parent or a parent period, when our children have gone through trauma, it's also a place for us to build up our skill to recognize what is going to be the most supportive for them in healing from that trauma. Because I think sometimes in, in the old, um, you know, back in the day, there was this idea that trauma cannot be healed from. And I think that the experience stays with us for sure. And there's layers, you know, there's, there's cycles of when it shows up and how it shows up and different relationships trigger, you know, and bring new things to light for us to work on. So I wouldn't say in terms of, you know, it, it magically disappears because love is present or, you know, it's gone poof because we have that one person we can trust and we've built the experience of like, okay, I know trust in my life. But I think it's more around what you're saying you know, as we go through life, we'll have other relationships where they will show up in a particular way for us. And sometimes it triggers that, right? This contractor is triggering your safety space, your trust space. And you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> um, and, and it doesn't work for me in a sense as a professional, I wouldn't, um, you know, give you a recommendation to somebody down the line. That contractor, if you never address that with him, may never know that that was the trigger point. That was the big deal. You know, he may be thinking in his mind, I did everything I've, you know, signed up on my contract. But oftentimes in relationship, I think we do that too. You know, with young people, a lot of times they don't feel in control of their life. They feel like adults are the ones who are, you know, telling them what to do, what the parameters and boundaries are for them. And so also this place of, relationship building is about communication too with a young person in that we value and we generously listen them. One of the things that, you know, resource parents and, and also some of my um, staff members have talked into is that a young person will speak what is important to them and they're often shut down or overlooked because, oh, well, that's great, but you're a kid. And that also breaks trust for a young person. If you ask them or if they are sharing with you something that matters or something they need, it may not be important to you as an adult. You might be like, eh, it's not so much of a big deal. But to that young person, one, they're practicing advocacy. And so if they get shut down or overlooked every time that they are advocating for themselves, then we're teaching them that their advocacy doesn't hold weight that it doesn't ever get noticed unless you're an adult. And, and so I think that that's another place too in building relationship that people have said, 
we also need to generously listen from a place of wanting to hear what young people are saying. So as parents, when we show up, we can integrate what's important to them. You know, it might not be very valid for us that they want to call, you know, so-and-so from their family and have them, you know, on the phone while we're eating dinner. But for that young person to have grandma join in in dinner might be something that's really important because who knows, it might be because, oh, I remember it was grandma's birthday, but I didn't tell you as a kid that that was part of why I want to have grandma on the phone and have dinner with her, even though it's cyber, you know, even though she's not in our house. Um, so I think those are some of the other pieces too that are really popping up around our curriculum is how are we curious and how are we generously listening one another? Yeah. So um, you're, you're, you're a mom and you're a, you're a, a coach. You've done a lot of, um, you continue to coach and, and that's what you, some of the skills that you brought, you bring in into this, uh, into this, this role. Um, what, what do you bring in from those two roles, mom and coach, into uh, helping, in, into a curriculum that, that's about helping kids be heard in the way that you're describing? Mm. <clears throat> well, within the two, um, you know, what we've looked at is how do we, support our families that are wanting this certification and to be in this space, right? To be able to support our, our young people and families. How do we generate a practice of asking powerful questions? So, you know, within the course work, we have moments where, you know, they, they learn something and then part of the activity. So our, our, Curriculum is very experiential based as well. So the activity is a powerful question where the adult, you know, gets to work with it. How do I integrate this? How, how does this look different in my home? How do I take my personality before having a placement or before having a young person that I'm working with, you know, my habits, what I used to do when it was the way it is before? And how do I also be aware that it's going to change? within the process of adding someone new to our home. And, and so I think that that's one of the other places from a coach standpoint, because part of my background I'm in is change resiliency. And so how do we become empowered and thoughtful of change that is taking place and going to take place versus resistant? Because most people are first resistant to change. I don't like it. I don't do that. I, you know, my way is working fine. Um, and, you know, the reality is life is changing all the time. With technology, it says um, that it's predicted that our world changes every 13 days due to technology, which it may be even faster right now with everything that we've increased with the pandemic. Um, and so, we don't get an update that tells us all the ways that our life has changed in all those speedy, fast ways with technology. We just have to engage with it. We just have to uh, find out, you know, the new app is on our phone or my app looks different, right? <laughs> like there's all these things that are happening all the time. Um, so I think that's the other piece that really my space as being a mom and a coach, as well as just recognizing, um, that our families are going through so much change and it's an emergency state of change, right? That how do we begin to look at change from a way of um, tool base and, and empowerment that can support us? Yeah. So I, I love the, uh, the asking powerful questions bit. Um, and I, I particularly like the powerful bit because I've, I'm a, I have been coached a lot. So I've had, I've had loads of coaching uh, uh, and very little therapy. And when I went in the therapy world, it was just like, that was very like, unempowering for me. Very unempowering when I went to therapy. Whereas I've, I've, I've sought out coaches in all sorts of different areas of my life because I've seen the, the benefits I've, I've seen that that, that it ha coaching has 
um, uh, yeah, it's it's been a powerful force in in making me making my life better. Uh, so you know, when you say power powerful questions, what's what's behind that? So I'm asking you really now, you know, to put your your coach to, to I'm asking you from all three three hats. So imagine you've got three hats on your head. You've got your mom hat on, on you've got your mom hat on. And I'm asking you from a from your mom perspective because our listeners are moms and dads, right? So you've got a you've got your coach, you've got your coach perspective on so you've you know, you know, like what most people think of coaches as you know, like if you're not familiar with it, they think of coaches like a, a football coach or they think of a sports coach, somebody that tells people what to do stuff. Well, you're, mm-hmm. I get the, I get the impression you're a coach that asks people questions rather than telling them what to do, right? And then from the third perspective, you've got your CF, CYFD um, hat on. So if you combine all those hats, you know, a listener to the show who is thinking, yeah, I like this idea of asking powerful questions to understand what's going on with my child. I like the idea of asking powerful questions to build trust with my child. What what could you share, given we're having a discussion, we're not, you're not coaching me, you're not, we're not doing a role play about what coaching could be. What, what could you share to, to, to uh, with a, an adoptive parent wanting to ask powerful questions? Oh, I love this. Thank you, Simon. So, and just for your listeners to also know, I've um, been a kinship placement as well. So one of the other hats that, you know, I come into this space with is um, at a time, um, there was a time when I also took in my four nieces and nephews, that two of them were in second grade, No, one was in second grade, two were in third grade, and one was in sixth grade, right? Um, And they lived with me for a time period of three months. So that was also a part of me learning um, uh, part of this role, right? Um, But I would say the one thing about powerful questions is an authentic curiosity. And so sometimes... So as a, as a coach, Simon's shared with you, I'm a coach, I'm an ontological coach. So our ontology is the state of being and being curious about how a person is being. And so noticing, being aware, being conscious, being present is a part of this process. So, you know, it would be if you're working, you know, you're spending an afternoon with your young person, you know, I've noticed blah, blah, blah. I'm curious about that. Could you tell me more? Right. So a powerful question doesn't have to be a whole bunch of words necessarily. I find some of the most powerful are, hmm, tell me more about that. And then be quiet as an adult, close your mouth and like zip the lip, right? (laughs) And let them talk. And at first it may be very awkward, right? At first they might be like, I don't why are you asking me like oh my gosh do i trust that this is real because usually you're just telling me what to do right and and it'll you know you'll notice it and then you'll be no no i i really come sit with me i'm i'm curious or you know at the coffee table or you know i do it in the car with my son right as we're driving around everywhere and when you're quiet and then you get to that awkward quiet Like it's been about 30 seconds. I think between 20 and 30 seconds is about an adult threshold for um, comfort in quiet. Take a drink of water, grab your cup of coffee and slurp on it, your, your soda, whatever, drink. And stay quiet, right? So that's that's always my like, this is how you stay quiet, is you take a drink of water. (laughs) And they're gonna be like, okay. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for them to jump in and tell me. I'm waiting for them to, you know, say something, save me. Because what they're waiting for is for you to take the ball back. And as a coach, you don't take the ball back. You handed them the ball with, huh, curious about this. Tell me more. So the ball is in their hand and it's burning, right? It's like hot potato. And they want you as the adult to take it back and just 
say whatever you're going to say. So that way I'm off the hot seat. And when you take that long drink of water or you take a deep breath and you settle in and you recognize that this is what Celestina calls the pregnant pause, because you're going to take it beyond 30 seconds, maybe to a minute, maybe to a minute and a half that first time, because they're waiting for you to take the ball back. And you might have to go, no, no, no. I, I know this sounds weird, but I'm really curious. <laughs> like, let me know. Tell me. Yeah. And let them tell you, you know, because that's where we usually, um, we get awkward, Simon, right? When we ask to know, and then we just start talking as adults to fill the space and to get comfortable. And the reality is young people are used to that. Young people are used to like, oh, well, if I don't say anything, they're going to take the ball and run and then they'll get busy and we'll go on and I can go play or whatever. And when we're talking and really wanting to know what's in their heart and what's on their mind or what's really coming up for them, sometimes it takes time for people to trust and to let that go or for them to, wait, okay, so you're asking me about my test. Okay, well, there was a lot going on there. I don't know what I should tell you. Um, you know, and so people get frozen right? Flight, flight, freeze, right? You ask me a question, if I freeze or if I, uh, or if I throw the temper tantrum too, right? Then we're never, they're never going to try to ask me a question again. <laughs> so we also have those kind of like, let me save and keep myself comfortable. So as a coach, as you get into it, you know, maybe you don't, you know, have it be like a 20 minute session, but be consistent in it. That's the other part that I think I mentioned earlier is be consistent in your curiosity. Um, I think one of the things, you know, for me is I ask uh, my son, what's your intention for the day? You know, and I want to know from his heart, how does he want to show up being, you know, so we've done this since he was four years old, I think, um, as he started going into school. And, you know, now when I ask him, what's your intention for today? He says things like to be wise, to be kind, and to be a generous listener. Or he'll say like, you know, I don't know, be, be great with my friends or play or, you know, he, and he always gives three and then he'll be like, mom, what's yours? Okay. Let me see for today. How am I showing up? What's my intention? Okay. I got a lot going on. I got a call with Simon today. I got, you know, okay. My intention for the day is to be confident and to be um, resourceful and to, you know, be an out of value, right? And so he hears me present, the things that are real for me in my life too. So that piece of also showing up as an example in the routine or the practice that they can also ask us generous questions or powerful questions and that we're willing to give back. So it's a give and receive because then they're practicing their leadership too with you. And that's a trust place to build on as well. Yeah. So the, 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 the powerful, I, I got the powerful completely wrong then because I was thinking that the power was in the words of the questions, but the power is in the place that you're coming from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that so, it's more than a yes or no, right? So that's the other piece. Because the yes or no gives us the easy out. And it's not very deep, right? If I was like, oh, Simon, you know, did you like what I said? Yes or no? That's not very deep, right? Simon, can you talk to me about the value of the conversation we had for you today? That's a whole different level. So, so also being able to look at how are we being curious with each other of what's really in each other's heart. Because that's where the power also lies. How are we getting to hear what's people's heart, what matters to them, what's valuable to them? Yeah. So you 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 talked about um, where where we're you talked about where we're coming from. So we're coming from a, a place of curiosity, and and it's and it's genuine and authentic curiosity. Because our kids can pick up, they've got that uh, baloney, they've got the baloney radar, haven't they? Um, in mm -hmm. their, uh, in their, um, in their, what's it? Where do they say people say that it's in the solar plexus? Is it? Or it's in, it's in our gut. 
you know, we've got a we've we like we've got a gut we've got a gut feel for whether somebody's coming from um, from a genuine place or not. So um, you talk about coming from genuine, authentic curiosity. You've talked about, um, and I guess coming from a place of security as well. That we're coming from, uh, we, we're coming from stable, coming from stable grounding, where we're okay with whatever the child says. We, you know, it, we're not going to be triggered by their response. We're stable in our space, and uh, and we, our foundations are firm. Um, you've talked about. Uh, the nature of the questions that they are uh, deep and uh, deep rather than shallow and open rather than closed. And you've talked about being sufficiently secure to wait for the answer. Is there anything else that you want to add on, on that? Because I think this is a real, I think this is a rich part of, a real rich part of our conversation. I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, those that I've, I've trained. So anyone listening, I've been um, a classroom teacher professionally. I've worked in um, social justice efforts since I was a kid and also um, transformational training. Um, I had a center uh, here in New Mexico for nine years that I founded and ran. Uh, and so a lot of my work in my sixth grade classroom changed drastically when I started learning the things I am sharing with you, um, Simon, in terms of being able to hold space and not be attached to what the young person is saying, right? Really um, being able to, um, I think one of the areas is that, you know, young people too feel at times that there's a lot of judgment and a lot of this is the way they should show up and they should be. And so to share their authentic self sometimes is in that vulnerable place is sometimes very scary and very um, uh, not something maybe that, you know, adults want to really hear. Um, and so I think one of the areas around that for us as adults is to recognize that when we're listening whatever might be shared in the conversation, um, that we take note if there's any of our own biases or triggers that come up, um, because they will at times, you know, like sometimes, you know, my son the other day said, I want, I want to be um, intelligent, right? And that might not trigger a lot of people, but for me, I was like, man, I don't want my son just to be intelligent. I want him to be wise in how he uses the knowledge that he has. And so for me, I had to catch myself and not make him wrong for his word, right? Or, and, and really what it opened up was that next level of curiosity. Oh, why is this something for me? Because it's not for him, but have I ever taught him the word wisdom? Have we ever had a conversation about wisdom and distinction between intelligence and wisdom? And so it became a conversation piece for us where, you know, the two of us talked about wisdom and knowledge and how we create what we do with our intelligence. And so it was interesting after we had that conversation where, oh, as a parent, like, oh, okay, that's coming up for me. Now, how do I use it and add value to my young person? You know, where have I maybe in parenting not opened the conversation up for these language pieces because language is really important. And Simon, that's actually one of the pieces of our curriculum, our core competency. One of them is language matters. And so being able to, in those coaching moments or in those asking questions to be authentically curious, where can we also see how we can expand our young people through relationship with us? and be a mentor, be a person that adds to what they maybe have exposure to. Um, and so, you know, next couple of days later, you know, when my son was doing his, um, you know, my intention for the day, 
his word was wisdom, right? Because we had added that into something that he now had access for. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, thing popped into my head when you talked about the, the word intelligence. Um, you also talked about kids being uh, at effect, you know, a lot, you, you know, that, that they are not in, you know, their agenda is set by us as parents or their agenda is set mm -hmm. by the, the school. And they, they, they don't have a lot of, you know, they don't have a lot of control, generally speaking, uh, about whatever. Um, we, at, at school, schools are, are, are changing. Um, however, they still are largely focused on IQ. They're focused on intelligence, whereas mm -hmm. we 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 know from research that emotional intelligence is. I don't know. You might have heard this sort of stuff. It's like. It, people's success in life and it depends you know success in life and success in careers and it depends where their career is to, to a certain extent so um a you know the success of um a statistician compared to the success of say a coach um it, it varies but the iq is something i don't know it's something like I think it was five percent. Five percent of success is is IQ, and forty percent is EQ, or some something nuts like that, where it's like eight times more important or mm -hmm. ten times more important. Um, and yet, we kind of all know that. Like nobody wants to sit next to the geek, um, you know. Uh, uh, but we don't really. I don't and to what extent are we embracing this? Do you think? I think it's a part of the change in, in our times. You know, I think when we talk about emotional intelligence and also the ways our society has been structured, what I've learned over the years, so I now have over 15 years in transformational training. Um, you know, what's our worldview? And so that old mechanistic worldview where everyone was treated like a robot and they just needed to learn certain things to go fill that place in society and the workforce. We've learned over the years that that doesn't work for our human spirit. That's not something that, you know, supports us to live our full potential and be jazzed about life. And so that other piece of the ecological worldview that's emerging and has been emerging for a long time is a collaboration of both of them where yes we need both you know you need children to look both ways before they cross the street that's a hard skill <laughs> we need that so we don't want to do away with the pieces of, of hard skill learning that are valuable to us and the incorporation of the other pieces that also are vital for us to be able to have capacity for learning, which is the EI stuff. You know, for us to be able to learn geometry, our emotional intelligence pieces also need to be um, in motion and in the works. Um, so I think that over time, I mean, what I've seen is it's developing, there's evolution around it. Is there still pushback and resistance for the old way? Absolutely. Um, but I, think, but I think there's a lot changing within our society, especially now with access to so much information that's happening. Um, and I think to your point that we've talked a little bit about young people being able to contribute and speak into their needs and be a part of collaborating with adults. I think before there was this idea that young people didn't care about those things or didn't have an opinion about those things. And I think really, it's work. So I don't think adults wanted to do it. You know, it's huh. when you sit down and you're like, okay, we're going to plan the meals for the week. It's more work when you have a five-year-old and a 13-year-old <laughs> giving contribution, right? It gets messy. You have to, okay, how do we, how do we, you know, everybody align somehow. So it calls us as adults up on our game of having the tool 
to also build relationship and conversation as opposed to I'm the mom and I just plan out what dinner meals are and boom, it's easy, not a big deal. And then they eat or they don't eat, right? That's like old school. So, so I think part of this is also as adults, that accountability for us to be willing to do work in a different way, you know, not be so lazy or like, oh, what's the easiest way? Because when we help our young people to be in contribution to those pieces of life, we also prepare them in other ways to be able to face adversity out in the world, to be able to take on the bully at school without having to maybe have a fist fight, right? <laughs> like, oh, there's something else happening here. Um, but, you know, it comes also at our growth as adults to be willing to take the time to, in our mind, recognize we build time, right? Because I think a lot of times we walk around with, oh, I don't have any time. I don't have any time. Make it. For the important things, make it. Carve it out. Get creative. Get innovative. Ask the kids, how do we do this, right? It really shapes and will change once you get them involved. As a teacher, Simon, when I sat down and didn't say anything in my classroom, and it went for 20 minutes. Talk about awkward, right? Like I was waiting, the kids were waiting, everybody, when is she going to say something? And then they started asking me questions. And I just said, well, what do you think about that? And what do you do? They took over the classroom, their leadership, all the things that I had taught them, they exemplified it and they showed it because I got out of the way because I was willing to be a partner with them. Um, and I see that more often, the more I do coaching work with adults, most of our work is in getting out of the way and willing to do, be willing to do something different than how we've done it the same old way. Great. I think that's a fantastic place to, uh, to, to bring it in. Thank you, Celestine. It's been, uh, it's been a pleasure. And uh, I hope, hope you've enjoyed it too. Yes. Thank you so much. Blessings uh, to everybody hearing us today. Yeah. And uh, thank you too, listeners. Uh, we'll speak to you again very soon. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.